welcome back to History in 7. Today I've got a slightly more historian-ish talk that I want to do on historical arguments and interesting people. Uh, as I've begun planning and researching for my next project, I found myself uh, beginning to reproduce the strategy that I used in the previous book. Although this started as a more or less automatic approach to the topic, I'm discovering what appears to be a commitment on my part to approaching historical questions and posing arguments in the forms of stories about interesting characters in the past. Uh, my interest in these interesting characters is genuine. I was thrilled when I discovered in a file folder in Ashfield in Western Massachusetts an 1834 letter from a farmer to his church community, embracing materialism and preemptively excommunicating the congregation. Uh, I wondered, who is this guy? Well, it turns out he was Samuel Ranney, the farmer who brought peppermint cultivation and peppermint oil distilling to Ashfield. Uh, Ranny ignited a rural industry that enriched his town tremendously. And when he left in 1835, he took the peppermint business with him to western New York. Ashfield's fortunes continued to depend largely on peppermint oil purchased by Ranny's nephew, Henry, from western New York for resale. Um, and it was resold by an army of essence peddlers. Um, that is the first part of my book, Peppermint Kings. Uh, but the personal story of Samuel's rejection of authority and dogma was also central in shaping the town's history. In western New York, brothers Hiram and Lehman Hotchkiss sold competing brands of peppermint oil and ran competing banks at precisely the moment that the federal government under Abraham Lincoln began state banking. They fought with each other over credit and over the complex obligations of family business at a time when the burnt-over district was experiencing a new association of morality with business ethics. Uh, later in Michigan, the capitalist entrepreneur Albert M. Todd competed his way to a dominant, almost monopolistic position in the peppermint oil business, while at the same time promoting socialist causes such as municipal ownership and nationalizing the railroads. In each case, the men who became known as the Peppermint Kings and are the subjects of my book did things that were unexpected. Their characters contained elements more complicated than a simple account of their business successes would suggest. In the winter 2006 issue of the Journal of the Early American Republic, the historians Martin Bruegel and Naomi R. Lamoureux uh, conducted an argument on the merits of what Bruegel called microhistory. Although the main thrust of the disagreement surrounded political economy, Bruegel contended that large-scale macrohistorical developments take extraordinarily complex shapes on the ground, producing explanatory theories containing what he called a bias towards flattening out the peculiarities of the past. And so Bruegel argued for a new abstract approach to actor-centered modes of retrieving history in which historical subjects seek out chances, confront limits, endow constraints with significance, and transform their world by engaging it. Lamoureux called this approach antiquarianism. 
and suggested that economic historians do not see why making an analysis more complicated should necessarily be considered a good thing. Well, economists are always thinking that. Lamoureux compared the storytelling activities of historians to the model building of economists, calling their results analytical narratives. She depicted historical change as driven by shocks and claimed such turning points were unlikely to be induced by the actions of people who are relatively powerless. In that case, she asked, what is the role of history written on the ground? The answer to that question, in my opinion, is that historical subjects are complicated and multifaceted. No one is really competent or powerful or correct across the entire range of their interests and activities. Consider the effect of expecting uniform brilliance in all aspects of a person's life on our current difficulties reconciling the contradictions in characters like America's founding generation, for example. The shock that led to peppermint oil production abruptly ending in Ashfield, Massachusetts, was not in a part of Samuel Rennie's life where he was a powerful leader. It was in a strange interaction, very peripheral to the story of Rennie as a peppermint king, in which he would have been expected to knuckle under to church authority, just as several of his neighbors had done. Had I not been reading the archival letters with an open mind, following the evidence rather than trying to impose an explanatory model in which agency springs from power, I would never have discovered why 1835 was the last year peppermint was grown and oil distilled in Ashfield. Perhaps part of my commitment to approaching history through complex, fascinating characters comes from a slightly perverse contrarianism. In a 2001 article titled Historians Who Love Too Much, Jill Lepore observed that a striking figure in several micro-histories is a character who legitimately evaluates, investigates, and often judges the subject from a rather lofty distance. My desire to tell stories of the past and argue historical interpretations through interesting characters may be in their ability to stand not at a lofty distance, but perhaps a bit apart from their moment, allowing them to offer a slightly different viewpoint on a scene that we might otherwise take for granted and believe we understand. I'll be looking for outsiders like that who see their world from unique perspectives in my next story about lumber barons, conservationists, and labor organizers of the great northern pine forest. So that's all for now. I think I went a little bit over seven, but thanks for bearing with me. This is Dan Alasso. I'll see you again next time.